Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I'm back after a long delay. I've been traveling a bit, doing a lot of other things. I've got a big project this summer, and that's going to be building a big garage for my workshop up at the ranch. We added onto the house up at the ranch quite a while ago, and I've never been happy up there because I don't have a workshop up there for me to work on my projects, and I usually have three or four projects going at any given time. I want to have my workshop. So that's going to be built this summer. We poured the footings and foundation last year. Come spring, as soon as I can, I will pour the floor, and then the steel for the building will be delivered about the 1st of July. So my summer sailing season is going to be cut short this year, basically part of May and part of June, and then I'll be back to finish up whatever I need to do in preparation for receiving the steel. My wife and I did a trip, a road trip. We drove down from Salt Lake, down through Utah, down to Kanab, and then on to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, which was closed. I don't know why it was closed. There wasn't enough snow to stop us from going there. But our government, in its infinite wisdom, decided to close off that part of the Grand Canyon National Park. So we drove around to the south end, actually drove to Page, spent a night in Page. Then the next day we went to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and that part was open. Then we drove down from there down to Williamson, which is on Route 66, then to Sedona, and then from Sedona we went to Prescott. From Prescott we drove over to the Petrified Forest, and then from the Petrified Forest down to Tucson to go through the... Oh, it's a national park near Tucson anyway. It's the one with the big cactuses, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. But anyway, spent a night there, and then we went down to Tombstone, Arizona, and then down to Bigsby. I think the name of the town is Bigsby. It's south of Tombstone, about 50 miles, very close to the Arizona-Mexico border. It had the largest U.S. copper mine at some point in time down there, the Dodge Phelps Copper Mine which was the largest U.S. copper mine at the time. I don't know why they shut down, whether it was government regulations or whether they ran out of ore, but it's no longer operating. But there's a big open pit, and it's a historical town. Pretty cool town, Uh, but it's dying because there's no industry there. But if you want a cheap place to buy a nice, cool house, I would be going down there. I think the summers will be awfully hot, but the winters are delightful. Then from there, we drove along the southern border all the way over to Las Cruces. So basically, we were literally within a few hundred yards of the U.S.-Mexican border most of the way across there. A great drive, almost no traffic at all except for a lot of Border Patrol agents. We had to go through at least one checkpoint where I don't know how many gamma rays ran through my body as we went through all these sensors and cameras that were looking at us along there. And by the way, have you ever gone along the uh, freeways in the United States and seen all the sensors that they have all along the interstates and almost every road in the United States? They are tracking us everywhere we go. We live in a true police state 
a surveillance state in the United States, and I think most of the Western world does. Of course, government always justifies it by saying, oh, we're stopping terrorists. <laughs> you can see the skepticism in my voice. All right. Enough <laughs> for my political opinions. Anyway, we drove over to Las Cruces, just spent a night there, then up to White Sands, spent some time in the White Sands National Fort National Park, and then on over to Roswell, New Mexico. I'm a believer in UFOs now. And then from Roswell, New Mexico, up to Farmington, New Mexico. A long drive. That was a long day. Farmington, New Mexico is right in the northern part of New Mexico. Uh, it's an oil and gas town. It's so it's it's sort of booming, but not really because, of course, we don't want to create or produce oil and gas in this country. We want to import it. Ask me what I think about that. Ask me what I think about the more than doubling in the price of fuel since our most recent president took over. And who do I blame for it? Him. Who do I blame for inflation? Him. Absolutely. I don't know how you can think you can give people money for not working or producing anything and not seeing the value of that money you give them go down. If you didn't foresee that as a possibility, you are either an idiot or incompetent or both. What gives money its value is the productive capacity behind the money. And so when you cut off that productive capacity, you depreciate the value of that money. Pure and simple. Doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out, but apparently <laughs> nobody in the government could figure that out. All right, enough for my political opinions. Today I'm interviewing my good friend Jack Andrews. This is basically a conversation with him. I like to catch up with him every now and then. He's out there living the dream. I have given up sponsorship of Sailride. In fact, I have not asked them to sponsor the podcast this year because I'm not putting out enough episodes that I think they would get their money's worth out of it. So I haven't approached them for sponsorship, but I won't because I don't think that they would get their money's worth because I'm too busy doing other things right now. This podcast has been going a long time. It was a lot of fun at the beginning. Now I enjoy my conversations with people, but I don't enjoy the editing and all the other stuff that goes on with producing a podcast. And also, um, I'm running out of content. I'm running out of ideas. So if you want me to keep this podcast going, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, and give me some suggestions or offer yourself up as an interview subject. I'm running out of topics to talk about. I could go back and do the same old topics over again, but I'd prefer not to do that. So if you have any ideas for future podcast episodes, write me, franz F-R-A-N-Z, the number one, at medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, please become a patron. Go to patreon.com backslash medsailor and sign up to be a patron. I really appreciate those that donate a little bit every month. Or you can go to the website, medsailor.com. Get all the back podcast episodes that are not on your podcast listening app they're all there you just have to go back through the archives and listen to the episodes if you're interested 
Also, you can search for specific topics at the website. That's medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. All right, with that introduction out of the way, let me get on to my interview or my discussion or my chat with my friend, Jack Andrews. I'm back on Skype with my friend and the man who is living the dream with his family and has been for, for quite a few years, Jack Andrews. And Jack, Hi, Franz. It's been a long time, Jack. We've talked a little bit off and on, but we haven't really done a, an interview to, to let people catch up on what you've been up to. I know the last time I think I talked with you it was on Skype, but it was right in the middle of the, the COVID nonsense. Uh, yeah. And you were stuck at Anchor for over 100 days, as I recall. So let's sort of start from there and uh, back and try to follow a little bit of what you've been doing. First of all, let's let's let the people that don't know you and haven't listened to our previous podcasts uh, a little bit about you. Do you want to do a summary of what you've been doing or do you want me to do a summary of what you've been doing? Uh, yeah, I can do a summary. You okay. can maybe add to it if uh, if it's not all true. <laughs> um, so we, we bought a boat in Slovenia back in 2016. It was a Bavaria 44. It's four cabins. And there's my wife, myself, and three teenage kids on the boat. And we've been sailing the Mediterranean, uh, across the Atlantic, and into the Caribbean um, over the last six years. Um, so in summary, that's it for us. Um, a few miles covered. Well, there's a lot more to the story than that. I mean, during the time that we were, I I think, I I think (laughs) we got cut out just for a second there, Jack. So, um, you said that was about it. And then I think you kept talking and I lost you on Skype. So go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so we've been on the boat for that six year period. But we have taken a break from the boat, but only during winter in in Sicily. So we overwintered in Marina di Ragusa in Sicily for the three years that we were um, in the Med. Um, and during that time, we would often sort of go away for a month or so, um, just during the peak of winter. So, But the rest of the time has been spent on the boat. Um, and not sort of half on and half off. So, so the, yeah, and you were talking about the COVID times. Um, we crossed um, just before COVID hit. Well, not just before, a few months before. Um, so in March of um, 2020, we were in Antigua when the lockdown started to occur. And we did spend three months pretty much on anchor in Antigua waiting for COVID to be less of a factor. And um, we we were also concerned about where we were going to go. There was, in some countries, there was a, I wouldn't say hostility towards cruises, but uh, maybe cruises were not not as welcome uh, and with locals fearing that they may be spreading COVID to their country as they travel around. So there were some concerns about where to go for hurricane season during that year. Um, But Grenada came up with a very good plan that allowed boats to come down, um, scheduled for 
testing and um, they had a certain number of boats arriving each week. So we we then ended up spending our first um, COVID hurricane season in Grenada with um, probably about 600 other boats that headed down uh, under arrangement. Now, how did you arrange that? Did you contact them? Did they have an allotment that let you come down? I mean, this just sounds like a giant nightmare for a cruising sailor. Yeah, and I must say a lot of it's uh, improved dramatically since then. So, you know, places like the BVI are are now open, but they weren't open last year for cruises and so on. But to answer your question specifically for Grenada, they had an allotment. Um, It was organized through a local uh, sailing group that um, worked with businesses and and the, the government to allow cruisers in and you know i think they did the country did fairly well out of uh, the cruising community and certainly the um the testing was fairly thorough and there was no increase in covid numbers as a result of cruisers entering uh during that time but you know then hurricane season was over and we decided to um to go to the countries that we could get in easily and um the countries that tended to allow people in easily were the same places that had a lot of mega yachts in them funny enough <laughs> you know i guess those people have uh, money to influence uh, decisions on travelers uh so yeah saint martin and saint Barts were um fairly easy to travel around so both the french and dutch sides of saint martin um and then we from saint martin we headed up to the bahamas and we spent the cruising season uh, last year in the Bahamas, before heading down and bashing our way, you know, east against the winds, um, a thousand nautical miles, so as that we could uh, overwinter in um, in Bonaire or Curacao. So I mean, you know, over summer, sorry, hurricane season. Um, <clears throat> and this year we've sort of done the same thing we've gone from uh, Bonaire to St. Martin that was about a four day passage and then uh, BVI's Dominican Republic and up to the Bahamas so when you look at the last two years with COVID around uh, I, I think overall we've done about nine countries during that time so it hasn't really stopped us uh, except for that initial period where the lockdowns were fairly heavy but, uh, you know, after about nine months, everybody was moving around to certain islands anyway. Okay. I'm looking at your track, which can be found on noforeignland.com. And uh, the yacht is Vesna, V-E-S-N-A. And the nice thing about looking at this is this shows your track way back uh, to your time in the Mediterranean. You've been pretty diligent about putting up where you are and where you're going. And... Uh, so I can see you know, pretty much where you've gone once it loads up. So um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of that's actually automatically put up because we've got an uh, in-reach tracker that's doing that. Okay. So like just uh, when I say in-reach tracker, it's just the um, little Garmin Mini in-reach. And for a fairly small fee compared to what the Iridium Go costs – for a fairly small fee, like about forty odd dollars per month, it has it sends up unlimited ten minute track uh, position tracks. 
Oh, okay. Okay. So that's uh, so you don't have to do anything. It's done automatically, and uh, people can track you easily. So, yeah. so, so now Grenada was pretty much out of the hurricane season. Isn't that considered below the uh, below the hurricane belt? It is for insurance purposes. Yes, I mean they still get some tropical storms that will um, go, you know, further south. In actual fact, there was one. A tropical storm that went to Trinidad, Tobago, south of Grenada during the first, well, during the time that we were there. So they can still get hit, but it's very rare, and they certainly don't seem to get hit by anything strong. Okay, okay. And you say, you say Bonaire, I say, and it shows on the on the list is Curaco or Curaco, but uh, uh, Curacao. Curacao. Um, okay. Yeah, Bonaire, the Dutch. Islands of you know, the ABC Islands. Okay. Um, so that was last hurricane season. Now, did you just stay at anchor, or did you go into a marina last year? Um, so during the hurricane period, we we will occasionally go into marinas, or sometimes, depending on where we are, we'll spend a decent amount of time in in marinas. Um, and during the cruising season, we're pretty much on anchor all the time so i think certainly you know the med and the caribbean are very different when you talk about marinas because in the med marinas are fairly common um and you visit them fairly often but in the caribbean and the bahamas it tends to be on anchor for most cruises most of the time um we did spend uh, on this trip up to Bahamas this year. We did spend some time in the Dominican Republic. Uh, that was in a marina. And um, we had a little bit of time in Curacao in a marina. Um, Bonaire, one week in a marina and then three months on a mooring ball because it's illegal to anchor in Bonaire. Okay. Okay, yeah. I'm looking, I'm zooming in on here. And your track... Uh Show you know, your track shows you going back and forth and back and forth on in this harbor here in Bonaire. <laughs> it's, it's, you you spend a lot of time moving around in this this place. So I guess you'd move from Anchorage to Anchorage. But, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Still move around a little bit, and there's there's diving um, balls that you can take the big boat to, and, and I mean, it's a diving mecca. If you if if you're a scuba diver, you've probably heard of Bonaire, but. Um, it's got a fantastic reef. I mean, at the back of the boat in Bonaire, if you're on the mooring ball, you know, you can jump in the water and there's reef right at the stern and it will go down all the way down to, you know, 100, 120 feet or even 30, 40 meters. Wow. Now, what do you do? I know you used to be a professional diver. People don't know that about you unless they've listened to our previous interviews. But you were a professional diver for a period of time, and you still love to dive, and your whole family are divers now. What do you do for tanks? Well, yeah, we have a lot of diving gear on the boat. In actual fact, um, it is amazing how how the boat is overflowing with everything, and it's something that we sort of had on the list is to increase the size of the boat but um it's a little bit too comfortable being on the boat after six years and (laughs) making it the way we want it that uh choosing a boat to switch to is a lot harder at the moment than i'm sure it would have been earlier um and i think the 
the more time you spend on a boat, probably the fussier you are as to what what you want to do next. But as far as as far as um, tanks are concerned, yeah, we've got about eight scuba tanks on the boat and five full sets of dive gear. Um, I must I must say that uh, we're on Long Island at the moment, and that's got the world famous Dean's Blue Hole, just not far from Clarence Town. And we're heading there tomorrow, but uh, we were there last week. And speaking of diving, uh, my son Ruben went down to 33 meters on a free dive. So both the boys from having no, not a lot of free diving experience can free dive fairly deep now without scuba tanks. That's pretty damn good. And so you've trained them how to do it then correctly as, as you've gone on. Because you and I talked about this a while back, and I used to hyperventilate, and you said don't do that because you can pass out if you go down, if you do that. So, Well, yeah, I mean, certainly it, it is a balance of being able to handle CO2 buildup and O2 partial pressure changes as you're diving. But um, I would say that mainly the teaching of the the boys with the deeper free diving has been through um, a lot of friends that are in the boating industry the crew or the cruising community um, there's a lot of free divers around and um, self-taught and yeah and just close friends um, and it's it is actually a course that is taught by Patty as well now and some other training institutes so it has become a little bit more mainstream in that sense. Hmm. Okay. So you have been on the boat six years. This has been a period of time when your your children have grown a tremendous amount. Your is it Reuben that's the oldest now? Or uh, no, yeah, Declan's, Declan's the oldest. Declan's yeah, the yeah, oldest. he'll okay. he'll be eighteen this year. So from twelve to eighteen on the boat, those are pretty formative years. And, Absolutely. And uh, how how has it worked out for you? Um, I think it's worked out really well. Uh, time will tell, but uh, we'll see if they love us or hate us for <laughs> stealing them from normal suburban life. Um, but uh, it certainly worked out very well for us. I mean, you know, we, we spent more time with our children than most parents have an opportunity to. Uh, so the the relationship, the bond, the, the transfer of um, knowledge from parents to, to kids, I think, is far greater on a boat or in this sort of environment uh, than they, what they would be if you were just seeing them before and after school. Oh, absolutely. And you've taken on the responsibility of homeschooling and, 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 and everything that goes with that. So, Well, we're pretty lucky because, as you know, Julia is... Uh, a scientist so you know she she handles the the schooling side of it um so not so much me but uh there's a lot of practical knowledge and a lot of global worldly experience that comes across by being on the boat as well yeah hey when we were talking last week before uh before you ran out of data on your sim card you had caught like two fish while we were talking whatever happened to those fish and what kind of fish were they uh, they were both mahi mahi. We could, we got two and two got away, but um, the uh, we were very happy about the wahoo we caught. Um, 
off uh, the bottom end of Long Key near Crooked Island in the Crooked Acklands. That was a 40-pounder, which was, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's still feeding people. <laughs> but we've had to we've had to stop fishing because the freezer is full. <laughs> what sort of rig do you use for fishing? Um, so we have we have a fairly good reel on an average um, trawling rod, and um, mainly use cedar plugs. Oh, so really? cedar cedar plugs are definitely the go here. Um, there's a difference in colors. You can get white and red and sort of like wood and uh, natural lead color on the nose, or you can get painted ones. Uh, Ruben advised me today that uh, apparently the Wahoo like the slightly bluer ones, but, you know, it's starting to get to that point where he's our, um, <clears throat> he's our most skilled person of, on, on fish identification and but uh, they're keen fishermen, although Declan's the one always filleting, and Reuben just watches. Okay. So I think he's, he's got that figured out. Have you had any injuries from bringing the fish on board? Uh, yeah, Declan lost a $1,000 pair of glasses bringing one fish on board, <laughs> <laughs> which, which reminds me of the time that I lost my glasses on your boat. Oh, that's right. You did. That's right. <laughs> yeah, always wear a strap around your glasses on a boat. That seems yeah, to be the best, best policy. That's even, a good idea. Even though I don't all the time, yeah. I should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's great. Now, let me talk to you about the cost of cruising in the Caribbean versus your experience in the Mediterranean, because you've had the be you've had both worlds, and so let's talk about you know. You don't go into marinas very often, but when you do, are they more expensive in the Caribbean? Yes, I mean, I think, I think the American audience uh, would be quite shocked as to how cheap it is to um, have a boat in a marina in in Europe, right? Compared to uh, prices in the U.S. Like, for instance, I know that when we left Sicily, uh, we were doing seven-month stays in a marina with power and water for about 1,800 euro. So, you know, half a year for 1,800 euro. So, you know, what's that? 2,100 or thereabouts US dollars for seven months in a fairly top-notch, you know, very well-protected marina. Um, how does that compare to the US? I, I would imagine it's a lot higher in the US. Yeah, I, I haven't been in the U.S. Marine in many years, but I think the, when I talk to my friends, you're usually talking about four or five hundred dollars a month minimum. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, and certainly around here um, in the Caribbean, it's crazy prices. The the Dominican Republic's, you know, okay, um, but you know, marinas are not the done thing uh, most of the time over here. So, I would say that. The costs are, are very expensive during the peak uh, cruising season in the Med, but during the winter, it's very cheap. Yeah. Uh, so the overall cost of cruising difference, I don't, you know, I think cruisers will spend the same amount of money no matter where they are. It will just vary as to what they do and where they go. So, you know, for us, the the amount we're spending on cruising 
is probably about the same but you know maybe if you have more money you will spend it on upgrading the boat or or whatever if it's cheaper to live in a place uh, i certainly found that um the food costs out of the mediterranean are far more expensive um it was fairly inexpensive to stay in sicily and the cheapest places we we sort of saw food was like in the south of spain um which is where your boat is at the moment, isn't it? Right, it's in Almiramar right now. Yeah. yeah, so in Almiramar, um the prices in the in the supermarkets, I mean the variety is fantastic and the prices is uh, are really low. Probably the cheapest that we've seen in the EU. Um obviously you get cheaper if you go to Tunisia and other places like that, but and what and you just won't see that over here. Um you know all the prices, and in, in, you know a small shop will will be hundreds. And you know in Europe, you can, you can get a medium to large shop out the way for the same price. Yeah. So when 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 would you recommend that anybody have work done on their boat before making the hop in in Europe, or are there places that you found that are reasonable for doing boat work in the Caribbean? Because I'm facing this myself. Do I want to do a a new boat cover for my boat in in Spain, or do I want to wait till I get over to your, to the Caribbean? But what's your ex- experience on that? There are places where you can get work done over here, but um, they are very specific and they're not as there's yeah they're not as common. Um, like you know you get fantastic yards like you have in Malta. Um, I haven't seen that reproduced here. But I have seen boat services that, you know, are fairly reasonable. But the place to, the place that we've seen most people happy with seems to be St. Martin hmm. uh, for boat work. Um, a lot of people from around the Caribbean will go there for that reason. Um, you know, there's different places you go for different reasons. I, I, I think if you want to store a boat on the hard, there's a great marina facility in curacao for that but you've got to be prepared that uh you know during the summertime it will be very hot the boat's locked up it's you know it's hot and it's humid so there is an effect on the boat certainly if it's unprotected um as a result of the weather conditions they're fairly extreme so the, so that was going to be one of my questions because unlike you i don't live on my boat and i probably will never live on my boat so my my plan would be when I hop across the pond and go to the Caribbean to basically uh, sail for a couple months or three months or and then put the boat up and, and then go home, just like I do now in the Mediterranean. And right. I feel uncomfortable uh, leaving my boat in the water just because a small leak can develop into an expensive fix. And so I like to pull my boat out of the water. Where are the boat yards so you said there is one in curacao yeah curacao uh, grenada has a number of boat yards where, you, where they'll store the boat over winter i mean sorry over hurricane season um for you without a problem um most of the islands will will do that as well but of course most of the islands north of you know the abc's and grenada are in the hurricane uh, zone as far as insurance is concerned and a lot of policies will not cover you um in the rest of the islands there are some islands that offer i I know that uh 
in St. Lucia, you can get local insurance and, um, you know, you can put your boat in the marina and so forth with local insurance. But it concerns me that if it's local insurance and that locality is hit... <laughs> there won't be any insurance, that's right. Then, then the insurance company might find it very difficult to pay out. Yeah. You know, it depends on who's underwriting it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, how good is the reinsurance? That's the big question. Yeah. So, yeah, I've uh, I've looked and I've heard about Rio Dolce in uh, Guatemala as being a hurricane hole. That, have you talked to anybody that's gone over there? Yes, we have friends that um, uh, also came across that we met in Sicily. They spent last hurricane season there. Um, and I believe it, it it is commonly used that way. There's there's also um, there's also a hurricane hole um, called Lubron in the Dominican Republic, but that's sort of in the water. And Rio Dolce, uh, I guess they've got marinas there that will take your boat out on the hard as well. I'm not sure about yeah, that. Yeah, there is. I was actually is. Oh, reading yeah, okay. a book yesterday, and actually, as I was reading this book, I'm going to be interviewing this guy that lived 12 years, or no, five years on a 12-foot boat with him and his girlfriend sailing down there. And so I was following, as I was reading the book, I was looking it up on Google Earth and zooming in on these places. And yeah, there's there is one big marina in uh, in Rio Dolce that has a haul-out facilities. Also, there's right. another one uh, in in Honduras, just down down further, that yeah, has a haul-out okay. facility. But uh, that seems like a long ways to go to haul out, and then a long way to go back to get to the cruising area. Well, th- I mean, this is a big thing. I mean, it's it's you know, it was a six-day sail, um, not this year, but the year before when we left St. Martin to go to Georgetown and the Bahamas. So, you know, that's, that's half a Atlantic crossing. Yeah. Well, it's half. Um, in that sail. So it's a long way to go, but it's not too bad going there. It's coming back. That's the problem because (laughs) you're fighting the easterly and, and if you go all the way up to the Bahamas, quite often it'll be southeasterly, and of course you you're trying to go south and east, so it's not very nice. Um, you know, you do have to think about going earlier south in the season to, or, or be prepared to wait longer to to make that trek. And uh, and you know there are certain techniques you can use, and you know go past all the islands that you can and. And use the land effect during night, so traveling at night. Um, and we did a lot of this um, last year. So it helps you, um, but it's still quite, you know, you're still beating into it. I mean, we lost we lost a paddleboard last year over the side <laughs> at one point in time. That I'm sure that's ended up in Cuba somewhere. <laughs> well, it could be back to Miami by now. Yeah. So. I mean that was our fault. We were silly not to uh, not to put put them away differently. This was a rigid one though, so we couldn't deflate it. Unfortunately. Okay. How many but, toys yeah. do you travel with then? I mean, you got eight scuba tanks. Of a, uh, I'm sure you know the dinghies. Not how many dinghies have you gone through since the last time I saw you in Greece? Um, well, so we bought our last dinghy in Almerima. <clears throat> okay. And um, and it's uh, it's done as well. Yeah. So like since. I think it's our fourth dinghy in six years, although the first one that we got with the boat was a bit of a joke. You know, it was a typical charter, not a you know, local charter dinghy, which 
when you see people in them, you think it's going to sink because it's overloaded because the dinghy's too small for the boat and all that sort of stuff. But so that was the first dinghy, and we wouldn't even fit in that dinghy as a family now. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a five horsepower dinghy, and you know it was I don't know two inches long. Right? <laughs> it was tiny, <laughs> but uh, yeah. The one at the moment's got a 20 on it, and even that's sort of the right horsepower for the moment, maybe five short where it should be. I think uh, yeah, a 25 had, yeah, you 25 had a, You had a big dinghy on your boat. You had a big dinghy compared to mine, which is a two-horsepower outboard. But... Yeah, but you don't even fit in your dinghy. Well, I, I seem to get around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you got like your shoulders hanging out one side and your legs out the other. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's a comfortable ride that way. Yeah. yeah. So I'm looking at Google Earth and Curaco, or how do you say it's spelled C U R A C O, but yeah. you pronounce it Curacel. Curacel, like there's an L on the end, huh? Curacel. So it's only like 34 miles away from Venezuela. And, Correct. And I've been to Venezuela, and it's a beautiful country. It's too bad that it's dangerous to travel there right now. Were you ever? Th- and, and to me, that would be a great place to have a marina and a hurricane hole and all these other things. But it just doesn't exist. Do you do you talk to any sailors that have gone down there? Um, no. There are some islands there, not too far from Bonaire, that are further east that people have gone to, and some of those islands were okay and and safe and others were not and we we've even there was a last year well within the last 12 months there was one sailor that reported that he had venezuelan pirates come aboard and they pretty much took his food they weren't really interested in much else so it was cash and food Mm -hmm. because obviously if they steal anything else there's no one in venezuela that can afford to pay for it so there's no point so they were more interested in food okay. and money. You yeah. get that. Yep. It's all right. I just turned it off. So Isla Tortuga, that's the one that uh, – is that, is, that is that a Venezuelan island? Isla Tortuga, just off the coast of Venezuela. Uh, yeah, well, yes, there are a bunch of them off the coast. Sort of if you get travel towards Grenada from Bonaire in mm-hmm. a line, you'll see them. Yeah, yep, yep. So, <laughs> Um, so it would be wonderful, and yes, it was a great country to uh, to visit before all the embargoes and the fact that it's very very poor at the moment, and uh, as a result, fairly dangerous, I guess. Yeah, yeah. When I was there, it was uh, it was beautiful. It was perpetual spring up in Caracas. It was friendly people. Nobody was starving, but it's totally changed since then. And that was a long time ago, at least 30 years I, ago. Yeah, I did hear recently as a result of what's happening with um, the Ukrainian situation uh, that Venezuela may be back on the you know, ab- ability to, to <laughs> export some oil. Yes. When we're desperate, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll change our standards, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, interesting. I mean, Curacao and Bonaire have uh, fairly reasonable-sized uh, refining facilities that during the time that Venezuela was exporting oil, uh, they were using smaller tankers to get them to Bonaire and then that have larger ships offload from the on-land storage because Bonaire has deep port facilities and um, Venezuela didn't have those same facilities. Uh, or, uh, you know, all that 
uh, all that industry, all those jobs have been lost as well, so in Bonaire and Curacao. Hmm. Okay. So what are your plans this year? Where do you think well, you're going to go this year? Uh, the boys are not happy unless there's blood in the water, so they're here to spearfish. <laughs> um, so we're, you know, we're in the Bahamas, which is a wonderful place, as as the customs guy says. You know, there's 700 beautiful islands, and you can go around catching all the fish you want. Well, there are limits, but there's a lot of fish around here to catch, as opposed to um, cruising grounds like the BVIs, which are great for chartering a boat, but have uh, massive restrictions on fishing. So you you need <laughs> you need to apply for a fishing permit but they won't give you one of those unless you import your boat into the country uh, so that's what we found out when we applied okay okay so you got two boys and one girl ivy is her name right yeah that's right how's she handling it is she feeling overwhelmed by all this testosterone and i think she's used to it um <laughs> i think you know i i think maturity levels well you know the the sort of activity that kids do on boats is different to on land. Um, so there's a lot more interaction with different ages and all, you know, adults as opposed to just kids and sometimes younger kids. Um, but she, you know, she's developed friends that she's stayed in touch with and that are also in the cruising community and um, they get to see them on a daily basis like you would at school, but you do still see them every so often. And, um, you know, it's. Uh, I guess there's a lot of pen palling that happens, but more so in a uh, instant messenger type way now, which is a lot easier than than what it used to be, right? So there's a lot of people that the kids in general stay in touch with that either were on boats or still are on boats, but are in different locations. And um, that's another thing about uh, the Bahamas is there are a lot of kids here and something else about the Caribbean that's different to the med is there are a lot of kids on boats in the Caribbean, uh, whilst in the med, it's less common. Yeah. More, more older retired people in the Mediterranean, it seems like. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more younger people cruising this side of the world, um, than, than in the med. That's for sure. So, even without kids as well. But yeah. Right. So I think yeah, the kids, the kids don't go stir crazy too much, and I think um, it also helps if uh, you're happy within you know your own environment and able to be entertained by yourself and don't need someone else to entertain you. That also helps. They probably learned to love to read on the boat too, didn't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a small fortune spent on books. <laughs> so you've been on the boat six years now, and you have no intention of getting off the boat, it doesn't sound like. No, not, not at all. Um, we, we did have our house for a long time, but we recently, well, in the last two years, we've, we've got rid of the house. Um, not for any reason except for the fact that we just weren't using it or had any plans to to use it so yeah we may may do something somewhere else at some future point in time as far as the house is concerned but uh, at this point in time the boats were where our home is 
So what would you call the prime um, sailing season in the Caribbean? Is it from, let's say, well, it's probably from like October, November, December, January, February, March, or is it like January, February, March? When would you say, when I, when I have my boat there, what three months would be the best months to be down there? Um, which part of the Caribbean? Oh, I guess that's the question, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, in the Bahamas, um, it is fairly cool, and you have a lot of cold fronts before um, before March. Sort of March, it starts to warm up, and the cold fronts reduce or become less less of a factor. Um, so, you know, March onwards in the Bahamas is good. People say don't go to the Bahamas, or people say other cruisers have said don't go there before February because it is cold. Um, so, you know, if you're going to cruise the southern part of uh, the Windward Islands, then you're fine to, to kick off, um, you know, any time. It's a bit warmer there. Um, but if you come up to the Bahamas, there's anything north of St. Martin, yeah, you probably want to wait till um, February, March. Okay. So if you had three months, I'd say March, April, May would be perfect or, you know, one month either side of that. You see, I'm thinking something I'd want to go down to in January or February. So that would probably be... The southern islands, then, right? That'll be St. Lucia, yes. Barbados. So, yeah. So, for me, you know, my summers are wonderful at the ranch, but right. my winters get 20 degrees below zero and I want to get the heck out of there. So, I'm looking yeah, yeah. for someplace yeah. warm and I'm sort of thinking, Nussie, where would I want to be in January, February, March is what I'm thinking. So, that's going to be the southern part then. And the hurricane season doesn't start till. April, June. May, June. June. Is it June? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, even then, the um, there is a delay between. I mean, the hurricane season starts in June, but typically, the hurricanes that form Mid Atlantic coming from Africa um, are a little bit later than that in the season, and of course they're the, they're the large, stronger ones. But you do get a lot of um, um, hurricanes close to the U.S. You know, the Gulf area and you know they're the earlier and later ones yeah okay so probably i'll be looking well i guess other people winter their boat down in trinidad and tobago and well that was closed for um oh really first yeah it was closed for the first year of COVID. i think it's only just opened back up um and certainly wintering your boat there is great but the, i don't think there's much cruising that would happen around that area no so some boat work which used to occur before they closed it down uh so when i say closed it down they stopped foreign boats from coming in or leaving so a lot of the local skills in you know typical boat services those people ended up um having to look for other work I'm sure the industry will come back, but it was a fairly popular place to get boat work done previously. Hmm, okay. What are you seeing this year so far with COVID restrictions? What what hoops do you have to jump through right now? Um, well, places like the Dominican Republic are fully open, and um, 
you know, there was no, they got rid of their mask mandate and everything. So it's, it was, you know, no issues at all. No, they don't require anything, no test to enter, no quarantine. Um, so a very easy place to get to. Um, a lot of the other ones, um, I just, a test before you leave. So you'd need to get a test on departure at the place that you're leaving from. And in some cases, you do need to send that through to them before you leave. And in some cases, you, you will actually get a permission to depart after filling out the, the forms and sending in your, your test results. Um, a lot of them no longer have a test requirement on arrival, although that sort of you know comes and goes depending on what time of the day it is and how people are feeling. But I think that this cruising season, um, the restrictions have been reduced dramatically. So, so at the worst case, you'd sort of be doing the same as you would do if you're getting on a plane, and that's a pre-departure test. Okay, okay. Well, that's good because so much of their economy is is based on tourism, so they don't want to kill the goose yes. that laid the golden egg. So yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. And between some islands, you know, there was almost nothing. Um, like for instance, as long as you and this is the other thing, if you're um, fully vaccinated, that makes it a lot easier as well. Okay. Okay. So. So this year, you're just going to hop around from island to island. Where do you think you'll be wintering again this year? Or summering? Um, was it wintering or summering? Yes, yeah, <laughs> there's it's summering be, down there, isn't it? Yeah, in, in the Met, it's wintering. <laughs> here, it's summering. Um, <clears throat> I think we'll try and see if we can do it in the U.S. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so we're going to have a go at trying to um, spend summer in the Chesapeake. Okay. All right. So coming back to the States then, huh? Yeah, yeah. So you're working but, working your way north then little by little then. We will, but I mean we'll head back down to the Bahamas for, for the next cruising season, I think. Okay. So So yeah, that's the plan. And that that's only because um <laughs> there's a situation in Bonaire, which we'd love to go back to Bonaire as well, but um they were looking at increasing the mooring fees and so like I, like I said you can't anchor there but they're looking at increasing the mooring fees from ten dollars a day um to 45 dollars a day Whoa. so it's like it's no, like a one that. yeah no one thousand and fifty dollars a month increase in um you know that's just ridiculous I, I don't know what they're thinking and i know that the there there are a lot of people that love that place and that are doing their hardest to explain to the officials that that may not be a very good move. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, Deer Valley, the ski pass went to $267 this year. Right. I mean, that, that if I own the company, I'd say, keep, keep raising the prices till the crowds go away, but the crowds are still there. So obviously people are willing to pay it. And that may be the same thing with Bonaire on mooring fees. You know, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know about the mooring fees and, and whether that's going to work for them that well because there's a whole bunch of other restrictions they're putting in. Like, for instance, you can't discharge your black water unless you're 12 nautical miles away. And, you know, if you're – in the U.S., it's three nautical miles offshore, right? Right. Um, if, if they introduce 12 nautical miles – I mean, if you look at a, a 
sailing boat. You know, that's four hours to get out there, you know, three hours to get out there, whatever it is, and three hours to get back. By the time you've departed, got yourself ready, departed, gone out 12 miles, come back. I mean, it's it's a it's a day exercise to get rid of black water. I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at the measurements. Uh, you may as well just sail on over to Carousel. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's 24 miles to Carousel from Bonaire, so... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they just haven't thought a lot of this thing, these things through, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, so where were we as far as that was concerned? Um, yeah, Bonnet would be great, but I think we'll try and see the U.S. because it will prevent us from having to go east um, or a long way south, and it'll give us the opportunities to see the east coast, which, I mean, we did spend quite a bit of time in the u.s um when we were living on the west coast and we've seen a large part of the country there but we haven't done so on the east coast yeah so yeah um and when are you crossing the atlantic well, that's my big debate i mean my plan was this summer that i was going to move the boat uh uh, probably down to the Canary Islands, but it's almost impossible to find a place to pull the boat out of the water there. It's expensive and it's hard. And then this year, I just got noticed that uh, this year is a difficult year because I'm building my 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 man shed, my dream garage. And, All right. Yeah, and so this the steel is going to be delivered. I just got noticed June 28th, which really makes my summer sailing season difficult. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do this year. I'm probably going to do some work on the boat in the yard, uh, move it down the coast, maybe move it to leave it in Gibraltar for the winter or one of the marinas in Gibraltar. There's a couple places to put on the hard. Or maybe take it up to Seville because there's another marina up, uh, up by Seville, which, you know, I haven't been able to contact them. But I can see them on Google Earth that they've got a boat yard up there, and I thought, well, maybe that'd be a place. But I, I, I may, I won't really know until I get there. I may actually just swing by and say, what's well, you know, where am I? Could I because I've been to Seville before or Sevilla before, and I really enjoyed it, and I think that'd be fun to go back there. That's where I started my trip through the Mediterranean. Was right. family join me in Sevilla? So to me, it'd be kind of fun to go back there to to end my Mediterranean voyage in Sevilla. But but then, do I go this winter? Uh, come across. But I when I talked to uh, who was it? Uh, can't remember his name. But uh, the the man from Israel that I interviewed, he said, you know, don't rush through the, those islands. Spend a year just sailing the uh, the Atlantic islands. And I thought, well, that that would be great if I had the time to do it. But uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'd like to move it over sooner rather than later. Because, again, the winters get awfully long in Utah, and it'd be nice to go get on a war- boat in the nice warm Caribbean in uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that period of time. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's something that works really well. And, you know, when you look at the, the difference in the cruising seasons between the Med and, um, and uh, over here in the Caribbean, if you're living in the U.S. and trying to get away from winter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm passing up the best months at the ranch in the summer going sailing in the Mediterranean. So it's it's time to switch that around. But will I do it this year? 
I'm going to try to get the boat ready uh, when I get over there so I could do a crossing. There's not much I need to do on the boat. The rigging still looks really good. I'm going to have it inspected very well. I've got new halyards that I've got ready to put up on the boat, but I hate taking down good halyards with good steel and putting up other ones just to replace them. Yeah, right. I've got all this stuff that I keep thinking I should do. But every time I get on the boat and I look, for instance, I've had two sets of halyards that I've got sitting on the boat to put in. And every time I get over there, I say, do I really need to replace these halyards that have been serving me so well and they look great? <laughs> you know, why would I want to do that? It's because you hear about these stories about people losing their halyards halfway across the Atlantic and then uh, having to go up the mast to replace them. Well, I guarantee you, I'm not going up my mast to replace my halyards. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one you know, we sailed across uh, using um, two Genoas, right, on the same mm-hmm. yeah. on the same track, and um, we because I mean we had fairly strong winds going across. It was a fairly fast trip. It was a great sail, but we had um, both head sails slightly furled. So as soon as you take one wrap or two wraps around that foil. The halyard is not doing anything. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you could probably just loosen it up at that point in time. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, just, I went up there to, to loosen the halyard and just to give it a different point for it to be working on, and I loosened it and nothing happened. I thought, oh, that's right. The foil's <laughs> got the friction. That's right, yeah. So I don't know. I'd, I'd like to get over there. I'm in, I may just bite the bullet and come across this this next winter. Uh, I'm not sure. You came across. Let's talk about your your crossing. You came across with the Ark, the Ark Group, didn't you? No, no. You didn't. No. Oh, okay. You just came across about the same time they were coming across, weren't you? Uh, no, we waited for them to leave so we could ah. enter um, the marina, which was totally full um, <laughs> in Las Palmas. Um, the yeah, they left. Um, we stayed for Christmas, and we left just before New Year's. Um, taking advantage of the so-called Christmas winds. So if you want fairly, I mean, obviously the Christmas winds, you know, they vary. Some years they're stronger than others, but um, the Christmas... I think everybody was crossing. I think the Ark changed their timings to suit being over for Christmas at the Caribbean end. So that was more of a less of a weather decision and more of a, you know, decision that matched people's expectations on holidays and Christmas location. Yeah. And I think this year they moved it back a little farther. So it looks to me like they're coming over in prime time this year. So, yeah, well, they ended up having multiple arcs as well. So it became busy. I think that's the other thing. People have been, you know, stuck with COVID and not having the ability like we have fortunate for us to travel and you know that's why you're as you mentioned your ski passes are up and you know there's multiple arcs leaving because everyone's starting to get out there and do things because they're sick of being at home yeah yeah well jack i'm it's good to talk to you again uh it's, we need to keep in touch more often you're living the dream i'm sure a lot of listeners would love to talk to you uh are you going to uh, present anywhere about your adventures? Because you should. I mean, you you know, the uh, the boat shows. You should be out there talking to people at the boat shows. But you don't have anything to sell. You're just out there enjoying yourself. Yeah, I was going to say, this is normal life. What What is there to sell? <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me ask you a question. On the Dominican Republic, the one time uh, 
I, I sailed from Puerto Rico. I was helping a friend take his boat up to uh, – He was. we were supposed to get it to Florida by by uh, Thanksgiving. but So we left – he bought it in Puerto Rico. And we avoided the Dominican Republic on purpose because it heard bad stories about it. And, no, uh, you should go there. It's, oh, really? It's totally fine. Okay. I mean, you know, if if you're checking in at one of the marinas, it is simple. Uh, you, you turn up at the marina, and the marina prices are really are fairly reasonable in the Dominican Republic. Um, uh, Puerto Plata, yeah, totally reasonable for a few weeks there. Um, all the facilities are there, you know, the the guys that check you in, it it takes maybe an hour to two hours max to check in or or out. It's not necessarily a great cruising ground because there's, you know, outside of marinas, there's a lot of swell. Uh, there's a lot of – sometimes they're closing the ports because of weather. So sometimes it's very hard to get into the marinas, so just be careful of that. Well, getting in is a lot easier than trying to get out. But, you know, the country itself is, is really good to visit. I think it it is really, really safe and it's, you know, high on tourism. Um it's been doing well during the COVID times. I think they've increased their tourist numbers and have a lot of growth over that time because they were less restrictive. Um, I would. This is the second time that we've been in the Dominican Republic, and we've got nothing bad to say about it. Uh, when you are checking in, sometimes you know, sometimes the officials would never ask for it, or they've never asked us for it. But you know, you can give them an extra five bucks, ten bucks US, and it certainly makes them happy. But um, it's there's nothing that's um, I would say well, nothing that would get in the way of visiting. Are there any problems as far as time stays? Do you have to jump through any hoops like you do in the Mediterranean? And if you're not allowed to stay more than no. three months, none of that stuff in the no. Caribbean. Then okay. Well, that'll be a relief. No, yeah. none of, well, what you mean in the Dominican Republic? Well, um, anywhere in the a, no, anywhere. you can you can extend. In each island is different. So yes, there are hoops like that. Okay. Uh, for instance, Antigua, you got three months. Uh, in the BVI, they only gave us one month, and which you could then renew, but you had to go and renew it. Okay. So uh, in the Bahamas, it's uh, three months, but you could renew that as well. So you can get up to six months in the Bahamas. Is that for the boat or for the people? I guess that's the Both. question. Oh, it is. Both. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think the boat can even stay a little bit longer uh, than that. I can't, I can't be sure on that one because we've not had the need to. Yeah, yeah. Um, you live on the boat and you're moving around if you can anyway. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, most of the islands you'll find you get three months. The French islands are super easy to check into. You know, you turn up at the island and you go to a local terminal. And you plug some information into a terminal, you give them a gold coin donation, and that's it. A gold coin donation? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> how how big of a gold coin? Not like a, a euro or two euros. Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. When you say a gold coin, I'm thinking uh, $2,000 an ounce coin, so. No, yeah, no, not that type of gold coin. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. 
Thanks, Jack. Let's keep in touch. All oh, right. uh, tell tell people about uh, No Foreign Lands. Uh, tell them how you use No Foreign Lands because I think it's been one of the tools you 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 have used quite a bit in uh, in your travels. Yeah, look, No Foreign Land has been a great tool to use. It's um, it's something that uh, you know. Often I'll send people a message there if I see their boat is in a particular anchorage that we're interested to go to. Um, I can directly contact them and ask them what it's like there, and they'll get a message there and get a response. That's one way to use it. Keeping track of the boat is another way to use it. And also pre-departure um, planning for a place. Um, there is more and more information going up on no foreign land all the time. The, the site is free to use. There's no advertising. So it, it it's great for like, you know, where do I take the trash when I'm in this harbour uh, that I'm in at the moment, you know, and there's information there. W- which is the dinghy dock that I can use because there's four or five dinghy docks. Well, there's four or five docks, but only one's um, the approved dinghy dock because the rest are private. You know, that sort of information is great um, to have there. And there's photos, there's, um, you know, there's menus, there's pricing, there's fuel locations. Sometimes people are updating the fuel prices as well. So if you're a cruiser, um, it's a great way to track other boats that you befriend. Um, if you forget their names, it's a great way to look them up and find out what their names are. <laughs> yeah, you've been using it for quite a few years. And I re- remember initially when we talked, it was a way of finding boats with other children on board so you could yes. meet up with them. Yeah, the, um, there's a fairly well-known um, cruising with kids site called Kids for Sale. And uh, all of, a lot of their members are on No Foreign Land as well. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, – I'm just zooming out and all these – it's giving information on anchorages, uh, boats near there. Uh, like for where you're at, there's another boat on here as well. Um, Let's see, no foreign lands, Palades. Oh, maybe, maybe. You know, I think I've zoomed out. I'm not sure where you at. I have to turn you on again. But yeah, yeah there's yeah. lots of boats all over the place and information. Um, Navali's a bit similar. Navali talks about uh, anchorages and information on anchorages. Yours is much better with sharing the actual location of the boats and uh, contacting people directly. You've been using that for quite a few years now. And you well, actually are, started. Yeah, you're actually it's, a friend of uh, the founder of that company, aren't you? That's right. Yeah, I mean, Steve and Helena um, were both in Marina de Ragusa when they um, started writing the the code for the site. And um, the first year that they had it in play, there was 50 boats on it. Um, and I think it's uh, south of 2,600 boats on there now. So, oh, sorry, north of 2,600 boats on there now so yeah i think the probably 2600 2800 boats somewhere around there and about 6000 users on the site hmm. okay that's yeah. like people following families boats and you know friends and so forth um you know, so it does also, I mean, with the tracking, uh, specifically for Atlantic passages, it was quite easy for family members to to follow progress because the tracks were going up automatically. And also on those tracks, even if you're doing a crossing 
of the Atlantic, so you're out of sight of um, any cell towers, obviously. But uh, the um, postings from both uh, Iridium Go and InReach uh, get associated with some of the track points, so you can link stories to it and photos and blog posts and, and even just texts from uh, InReach and Iridium Go whilst you're offshore. Okay, okay. Well, thank you, Jack, and uh, let's keep in touch. I'll give you a call and catch up with you in the not-too-distant future, just like I always do. We don't always do a, an interview, but it's always good to catch up with you. So, yeah, absolutely. And if, and if you're spending the winter, uh, if you're coming up and wintering in uh, in America, come out and visit us. You mean summering? That's right. It's summering. Yeah, yeah come yeah, out yeah. and visit us if I'm around. Otherwise, I'll probably be on the boat. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jack. All right, Franz. Okay. Talk to you later. Pleasure. Bye. See ya. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Again, if you want to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com backslash medsailor and become a patron. Also, you can go to the website medsailor.com and click on become a patron there. It's on the front page. Also, if you have any thoughts or suggestions for future episodes, please write me. Franz1, and that's the number one, at medsailor.com. Thanks. <laughs>